This episode is brought to you by Copperpoint Insurance Companies. At Copperpoint Insurance Companies, the people we serve are at the heart of everything we do. Copperpoint insures a broad spectrum of businesses across the Western United States with local, personalized workers' compensation solutions. Visit copperpoint.com to learn more. The heart of a new standard. Hi, this is Alyssa Burley with Rancho Mesa's Media Communications and Client Services Department. Thank you for listening to today's top Rancho Mesa news brought to you by our Safety and Risk Management Network, Studio One. All right, Pamela Davis, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you very much. For our listening audience, my name is Sam Brown. I'm the VP of the Human Services Group at Rancho Mesa Insurance Services. And today's guest is Pamela Davis, founder of NIAC, which is the Nonprofit Insurance Alliance of California. And I know there are other acronyms as well, Pamela, that I'd like for you to explain. But welcome. Thanks for joining. Great. Great to be here, Sam. All right. So you have such a unique background. And I thought our audience, our clients, our prospective clients, and really any nonprofit leaders would find it really fascinating, as I know I have. So would you please indulge us and tell us about your background and perhaps how NIAC came to be? Absolutely. And and I will just clarify at the very beginning that NIAC is one of the insurers that's part of the Nonprofits Insurance Alliance. So we have one that's in California, which is NIAC, and one outside, which is Alliance of Nonprofits for Insurance. So it's not that complicated, and we refer to ourselves as Nonprofits Insurance Alliance. But let's talk a little bit about my background in the startup. I had no insurance experience at all before starting NIAC, and I did not know then how naive I was, but that's probably a good thing Um, because the way I heard about the difficulties with nonprofits and insurance was in the mid-80s. I was at UC Berkeley finishing up a master's degree program and had to write a thesis on the topic that would be of value to the community. And so that's how I got into this situation. And I decided after creating the thesis that nonprofits really needed a long-term source of insurance that was reliable. And that my conclusion based on the evidence that I saw was the only way to do that was to create our own insurer. And so that's what I did. And so started NIAC in 1989, California, ultimately created the other company, Alliance of Nonprofits for Insurance, in 2000. And interestingly, the first NIAC was originally funded by loans from the Ford Foundation. So in California, we started out with about a million dollars in loans from various California and the Ford Foundation. And also then when Annie, the the company that launched outside of California, we were able to secure $5 million in grants from the Packard Foundation and $5 million from the Gates Foundation. So it started on a much stronger footing. But all the organizations in our group are 501c3 nonprofits themselves. Got it. So did you have an interest then or were you studying nonprofit management or governance in grad school? Good question. I was actually studying public policy. My introduction, though, my first introduction to the nonprofit sector 
was when I was doing work between my undergraduate and graduate degree, and I worked for a nonprofit organization, and I just saw the tremendous service that they did to the community, and I knew that I wanted to be involved in that, but I also had had prior business experience, and so I thought, how can I use my business experience in a way that would help the broader nonprofit sector? And this is the way that I've done it. So what were the challenges for nonprofits regarding insurance that prompted your paper and thesis and overall startup? Back in the mid-1980s, it was a situation where uh, nonprofits just couldn't get insurance at all. I had spoken with brokers at the time who said, you know, we're telling nonprofits don't even call us back. We have no markets to go to. And it was really triggered by the sexual abuse scandal again back then. And so basically also it was in addition the insurance industry was in trouble financially. They had made some bad investments. They'd made some bad underwriting judgment. And so they had to deleverage. And so they looked at their book of business and said, hmm, nonprofits, that looks a little risky and it's not much premium. So we're just going to cut that out of our underwriting appetite. Well, I can see why you rushed to action then. (laughs) Uh, So fast forward to 2021. And you had told me this figure the other day, but I don't want to mess it up. How many millions of dollars of premium do you now have on the books? Um, We have about 220. I believe we expect close 250 million next year with the group, close to 250 million next year. Okay. Wow. That's, That's impressive. Very impressive. Considering they're all 501c3s across different sectors, I know, different services that that each are offering. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, as opposed to the mid 80s, I would say the insurance marketplace has become a lot more crowded with insurers. We do see some ebbs and flow. But how does NIAC stand out from its competitors? That's a great question. And it really goes back to the original founding ideas that I had, which is Nonprofits really need consistency. They have to have long-term trust that the coverage is going to be there and that they're not going to have surprise increases. And so when we first started, we could not be a nonprofit, a C3 nonprofit. So I pursued a bill in Congress to allow us to do that. And so we are all, again, 501c3 nonprofits. So that differentiates us very, very much from the commercial marketplace. We don't try to meet needs of shareholders. Our purpose for being is to serve the nonprofit sector and provide long-term, stably priced insurance. So we're like a cooperative. We have a board of directors that's elected by the members, and it's from the members. The vast majority of our board members are actually CFOs or CEOs of nonprofit organizations. They help us make the best long-term decisions for the nonprofits that we insure. And again, it's about what's best for the nonprofit sectors. Of course, we need to be financially strong, but the motivation is not to provide more money for the shareholders. So stable prices and coverage, I believe we're the only carrier that has been paying dividends to nonprofits. I think we have paid now about 50 million in dividends back to nonprofits. So in a normal organization, those dividends would go to the shareholders, but in our case, they go back to the nonprofit organizations. 
This last few years, I think we've seen some real inconsistency with commercial carriers. And I think we have demonstrated the strength of our model during these last few years, because a lot of carriers have restricted their willingness to provide sexual abuse or their willingness to ensure any organizations having to do with foster care or child serving organizations. We did not change our appetite. We continue to ensure those organizations and have actually, we have really felt our worth in the last few years by helping these nonprofits continue with their good work by making sure they can get insurance. I didn't mention one more differentiator and then I'll end, which is we offer And we're the first to offer the sexual abuse policy that was affirmative that says this is what we'll cover. But also we offer a lot of free services to our members, like free and unlimited employment risk management consults. We offer a free online tool, it's called Board Network, for folks to interact with their boards and store documents online. That's all free discounted background checks, lots of webinars I could go on, but it's a central core to what we do to provide helpful services to the members. Right. And I will tell you that as a broker, I try to make myself very familiar with those services. But the reason I knew about the board portal was because a client had said, hey, boy, this NIAC portal is great for our board. We had tried to talk to a couple of software engineering firms, and it was going to cost us twenty-five or thirty thousand for us to develop our own portal. So this is great. And of course, as soon as they said that, I had to get very familiar with what it consists of. <laughs> and I'm glad I did because it's great. Yeah, that's so great to hear because we are trying to leverage nonprofit dollars. If we can put that sort of money in and then make it available to our twenty-four thousand members for free. That's a very good use of nonprofit dollars. Right. So yeah, that's a great resource of many, I would say, that NIAC offers. So uh, here's a question that I hope is relevant for you. Does NIAC make the business of risk or insurance easier for nonprofit leaders? And if so, how do you think that's accomplished? I hear that we do because I hear from members on a quite regular basis how much our staff is helping them with the basics of managing their risk. And so managing risk, insurance is just one piece of it. So we try to cover that by really extremely consistent pricing and coverage, and that we don't change what we're willing to do so that people are scrambling to find coverage. It takes a lot of time to replace, you know, as a broker, how much work that is. But we also are very accessible to our members on topics of risk management. We try to make our communications very relevant to the risks that nonprofits face. They're not just generic for everybody. And we also have a large staff that is here to answer questions. I think a a good example probably is the most used service that we have is the employment risk management. And we actually have several folks that happen to be attorneys, but this is not legal advice. But a nonprofit that has directors and officers insurance from us, they don't necessarily have just a lot of money lying around that they can just call an attorney if they have just a question. They don't really know what the law is on this or they they need some help or guidance. Well, we do that free of charge and unlimited Mm -hmm. so that if you have DNO with us and employment practices, you just always have at the end of a phone line or an email, someone to really check to make sure that you know what the law is. Got it. And you got it through. So 
that we've been told I hear over and over for from executives. Wow, this just makes my life so much better because I don't know that I would have spent the money to hire an attorney, but now I feel like I'm making the right move on behalf of my nonprofit. And again, mm -hmm. we think it saves money for everybody all the way around because we don't want to use nonprofit dollars to pay claims if they could be avoided by really good risk management. Right. And we have similar services for driving, driver training, all uh, telematics, lots and lots of different services for sexual abuse prevention and volunteer management that we think are important for our members. Right. I would share that sentiment. And I know that may be hard for all of our clients to be using all the services, but when they do take a bite out of the apple, they really rave about each one, whether you mentioned the, the driver training. I know it's really in-depth. It can be online or maybe formally, maybe now again in person. So I know that's been of great value to a number of clients. So glad you brought that up. You mentioned working with brokers and here at Rancher Mesa, we definitely try to have our own niche or, or specialization. Ours with a few of the other guys in the office is nonprofits and human services. So why should nonprofit leaders consider working with a broker who focuses on nonprofits? That's a really good question. What I often say is if you've seen one nonprofit, you've seen one nonprofit. Um, <laughs> I like that. They are complex. They are very different because they're formed to meet a community need. And that's going to be different in really virtually every community. So it's important for the broker to know the right questions to ask. And if you aren't familiar with the operations of a nonprofit, you may not be familiar with the information of all nonprofits, but you at least have a basic understanding of the kind of risks that they face. And you can ask them pointed and thoughtful questions to make sure you're giving them the best suggestions, the best recommendations for the type of coverage that they need for their exposures. But if you're just used to doing small business, for example, you might not actually think about coverage for volunteers, or you might not think about coverage for sexual abuse, right? And so that can be a costly mistake if a nonprofit does not purchase the kind of coverage that they need for their exposures. Right. I agree. I agree. That's well said. If you've seen one nonprofit, you've <laughs> seen one nonprofit. It's amazing how complex and mm -hmm. diverse the service and the offering the programs can be, especially, as you said, given the communities where they may serve. Now, all right. So present day, what changes to the economy, climate, or perhaps even the legal landscape will impact nonprofits options and pricing in maybe the next year or two? Yeah, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'll give you my best thinking on this. But uh, I do think we are in an inflationary economy right now. So things are going to cost more. I think food and that sort of thing, nonprofits are going to be facing higher, higher costs, particularly the residential programs. But I did say earlier, I believe that the, I think the social inflation that insurance companies are talking about to use to raise their insurance prices, I think that's overhyped. And from our perspective, we don't really see the need for increases, except potentially in what we're looking forward to right now, we're evaluating the data, is in California, perhaps modest increases in employment practices liability, because there has been a lot of activity there. And we always want to stay ahead of it, do small increases and not surprise our members with large increases. So it's our job to stay ahead of it and start with smaller increases. 
So we do see on the DNO there's likely to be some increases. I can't speak for other companies. I mean, climate change is happening and the high fire risk properties are going to probably have to go to the fair plan, at least in California, because um, right. there's not support for that sort of risk at the reinsurance level. And if you can't get reinsurance as a primary carrier, you cannot write that business. So I think that's going to be continued to be very difficult to insure those high fire risk properties. And as the climate changes, it will be, you know, more and more difficult to you repair. And there may be decisions in terms of where we can actually rebuild. So nonprofits want to be in their communities. They want to serve in their communities. But if that community happens to be in a very high risk area, can that nonprofit continue to rebuild there? It's going to have to be a question for the whole community. Right. That's a great point. I think insurance coverage has maybe lulled us to sleep a little bit, made us think we can populate some areas that the yep. prior exposure is just, it was always great, but now the claims are, are now great. So Right. And there's just some places that people, I think, probably won't be able to live. And one more comment I would make on the changes to the legal environment. One of the areas that we are really focusing a lot on right now is that municipalities trying to shift risk for their own wrongdoing onto nonprofits via contract. And we are taking that very seriously. One of our staff recently testified in Pennsylvania on a law that is being considered there to make any contracts that allow or require the shifting of risk for wrongdoing by a municipality or a government agency to shift through contract onto a nonprofit to make those contracts on their face null and void. Hmm. So that would be unenforceable. There are examples in the contract in the construction business that have similar language. So we're looking at that in several states right now. Yeah, thank you. I'll have to do some research on that matter. So what do you think is one of the most, or maybe the most understood facet to insurance and the insurance buying process on the part of the buyer or the nonprofit leader? Well, when I say this, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that nonprofits really are constantly having to watch the bottom line because Mm -hmm. price is important to them. But the policies are just not all the same. And insurance companies don't act on the promises they've made in their coverage forms in the same way. So I think that they misunderstand sometimes the implications of the actual behavior of the company. They think, oh, well, every company is going to cover this in the same way. One thing I didn't mention in our differences is that we as an organization, we actually look for coverage. I mean, and that means when we get a claim, we tell our coverage counsel, it's the internal staff, go to the policy and see if we can cover that somehow in the policy. Hmm. That is not what other commercial carriers do. Other commercial carriers look to see if there's a way they can not cover it. So very different way of looking at it. It might say something very similar in the policy, but how the company actually carries out its business relative to a policyholder is a very different thing that I think that many buyers probably don't fully appreciate the differences. Right. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of going to the exclusions section of the policy first, maybe as opposed to last. Yeah. So I appreciate that approach. And also the practice of companies, you know, asking the broker about the practices of companies in the past in terms of their willingness to cover claims that might be not as clear cut. Hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I sometimes think that 
if board members were asking the right questions of their DNO policy or maybe any questions at all, my phone would ring a lot more from clients of <laughs> concerned board members, but board members don't seem to be asking those questions. That's always a little surprising for me. Well, they're busy. And frankly, I think sometimes insurance companies, uh, I won't make a blanket statement here, but sometimes they thrive on making people feel like they can't understand it. And so people don't want to ask stupid questions. And so they feel like if they ask this question, it, it might seem stupid. I would encourage people to really believe that no question is stupid when it comes to insurance and they should feel very empowered to ask whatever they want. Right. And better to ask those questions before a claim perhaps, <laughs> then be asking them after. So Yes, of course. Final question, does NIAC have plans to unveil any new coverage, tools, or services that we can look forward to? Well, I can tell you that we have just introduced a lot. So there's some things that you may not be quite familiar with yet. Even Presidium, we offer that. It's a it's a wonderful tool for sexual abuse for our members. And telematics, I mentioned for the auto, that was recently introduced. Volunteer Matters, that was, again, just recently introduced. This is not a new service, but it's new to a lot of people who don't know about it, which is our online magazine, Blue Avocado. It's actually going to be getting a facelift and a new look and better searchable tools. So that's coming out for too long. We were the only carrier, I believe, that offered coverage for communicable diseases last year during the pandemic. That was very unusual. We thought others would follow with that limited form, but I don't believe they did. And we are coming up either next year or the year following. It's not completely clear what the launch date is, but a new enhanced DNO policy that will be an executive and director's policy, but it very clearly outlines that even though we provide the coverage now, there's been some confusion that fiduciary DNO and EPLI is all wrapped up and included in that form. Okay. So yeah, just making that more clear or yeah. offering maybe some options. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Some options to purchase different coverage parts. Correct. Okay. That's great. Well, I really appreciate you joining us today. I always learn a lot every time I talk to you or any of the representatives from NIAC. We trust our clients' success when they are insured with NIAC. We know they're in a good spot, and I can attest to NIAC looking for ways to cover claims. So we appreciate the partnership and look forward to more continued success together. And if any clients, any nonprofits uh, have any questions about NIAC, please let's discuss. And I will say that when I called Pamela to ask about this interview, she picked up the phone, which I don't think very, very many president or founders of insurers pick up the phone on a random Tuesday morning. So Pamela, thanks so much for making yourself available. And hopefully we can talk again soon. It's been a real pleasure, Sam. So thank you so much. And thanks for inviting me. Of course. Take care. This is Alyssa Burley with Rancho Mesa. Thanks for tuning in to our latest episode produced by Studio One. For more information, visit us at RanchoMesa.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter.